0: Hi, everybody. Today's guest on the podcast is Danny Levin. He's the author of the book, The Mosaic. He walked away from an opportunity to run a billion-dollar business to hitchhike around the world to find happiness and inner peace. He studied in a seminary five years and left one day before becoming a rabbi. He lived as a monk in a monastery for 10 years, and as a director of business development, he grew Hay House Publishing from $3 million a year to 100 million a year in revenue. Danny is a rare blend of businessman and mystic, and you will see that for sure in our conversation. One of the things that I took out of this conversation that was so powerful is the difference between honesty and truth. And so I hope you all enjoyed this very fascinating interview with Danny Levin. Hi, and welcome to The Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I am very, very excited about our guest today. I have had the honor of being on his podcast. And we had a fascinating conversation. So I'm very excited to dig into his story. So Danny Levin is here. Hi, Danny. Hey, how are you? It
1: is so nice to see you. I've been looking forward to it because I love the idea and the concept around your podcast that we all have the same 24 hours. Truth. And how we choose to live those 24 hours, how what we choose to do in those 24 hours is completely our decision.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I love that idea. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I love your idea. We love each other's ideas. It's Yay. just a mutual, mutual <laughs> love, Danny. Mutual love. So let's I'm just gonna let you tell my audience a little bit about yourself on the podcast. I'll read an intro, but I always like to just get it flowing because it's interesting what people highlight. So tell everyone who you are, where you came from, what you're about, and all that good stuff. You know, IQ, blood type, whatever.
1: <laughs> how many how many years do you have? Oh. I I I wish that I had lived the life that some of my friends had lived where they moved four blocks away from where they grew up and they were in their parents' business or they did something. That was never to be my life. Yeah. My life was impacted, I think, dramatically by the fact that I lost my parents two years apart on the same day when I was just a kid. Wow. So I lost my dad when I was 13 and my mom when I was 15, both on the 4th of July. And the story that I made up from that was that they were telling me that I had to be independent, that their life, when their death was literally a symbol to me to be independent. It was only about four years ago when I was at a cafe talking to a friend of mine about the mosaic that I realized for 45 years, the message that my mom and dad were trying to give to me was exactly the opposite of the message that I thought I, they, they had given to me. Mm. They, weren't, they weren't born on Independence Day, which would have been be independent. They died on Independence Day. And the message they were actually trying to say to me is: independently, we can do nothing. Independence is death; it isn't life.
2: Oh, but wow. when, you,
1: when you and all my life had been devoted to living a life of independence, but to, together we can do so much more. And so, I've had the beautiful opportunity of mixing with. And knowing some of the richest people in the world, they were my friends. I sat around the dinner table with them. I sat and met their kids and their what did parents.
0: You eat? <laughs> what do rich people eat?
1: Uh, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, of course you would want to know what you they. You know they eat. they eat well. I
0: mean, maybe they're just like us, but you know they eat better.
1: <laughs> you know the quality of the food and and the and the way it's prepared and and just the flavors they have the t- they they don't have the time to make it. They have people that are hired and chefs that create. It's like going to the most beautiful restaurant every day and sitting there. But at a certain point in time, you just want to say, hey, can I just get a cheese sandwich or something? You know, <laughs> cheese <it's> sandwich. <laughs> can I
0: get some bologna around here? <laughs> right.
1: Oh, right. Exactly. Um, but I, I've been able to sit with them at their tables and sit with them in their dining rooms and living rooms and share our lives together. And they would tell me what's going on with them. I would tell them what's going on with me. And we would, we would offer, offer our perspectives to each other. And it was beautiful because here are these people were changing millions of people's lives. And I had the chance to sit with them and have influence and, and hear what they would say to me and to influence my life.
0: So wait, let's back up. How did you know these people? Who are okay. these people? I know you can't uh, tell me I, who they are, but where do you know all these people? And okay. how, do, how do I get to their dinner table? <laughs> because I want so, to eat some uh, of that food.
1: <laughs> so one of the things that happened is when I had the tragic situation of my mom and dad passing, we grew up in a lower middle class family but it turned out my mother's sister had married a man who had become a household name. Mm. And so we moved in from, I lived on the East Coast. We moved in to the Midwest into their home. I didn't know them at all. And suddenly we were in an elite family and the people, the friends that I had, most of my friends now are billionaires. Wow. That, I, that I grew up with then because they were just, you know, in that whole uh, yeah. atmosphere.
0: And, and so, so, wait, how old were you when you got <laughs> dropped into the billionaires?
1: <laughs> so, my dad passed away when I was 13. So you were like my mom, 15? My mom passed away when I was 15. So, I okay. lived with them from 15 to 18.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And so, and some of those people still are my friends, you know, some of them are, you know, not my friends because (laughs) I I left the life that they thought was so invaluable. But here's the beautiful thing, Meredith, that in addition to those people who made my life very rich and very full, I've also had the incredible opportunity to sit with people on cardboard boxes on street corners all, all around the world. And I've mixed with, I've also met some of the poorest people that you would ever imagine. And I've had the opportunity to sit with them and have conversations with them as well, to have, to understand what influence they could give, what perspectives they could show me, what perspectives I could show. And though our, though our situations were slightly less comfortable than a beautiful living room with drinks being served to us, we sat on cardboard boxes with a a loaf of bread that I would bring and a, and a, and a piece of cheese and sometimes well, a bottle I stop of you wine
0: there because your choice of word and your, your choice of words is interesting because you said i have the opportunity i had the opportunity to sit with the poorest of the poor yes and you had that opportunity because you made that opportunity am i correct like you were dropped into a billionaire lifestyle yeah but you chose to give yourself that opportunity to find a different perspective am i right
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it's really where my heritage came from. I wasn't, I didn't grow up in the poorest of the poor, but we grew up in a lower middle-class family. My Mm -hmm. dad died with the one black suit and a mountain full of debt because he wanted to give us everything we wanted, but didn't have the money to do it. So he said, screw this. I don't care. I'm just going to buy them. I'm going to buy for them what they want. But then when he passed away, that wasn't a comfortable situation because my mom had no idea how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So I, I knew, I knew those people more than I knew the, the elite. Yeah.
2: Okay. And,
1: and I felt just as comfortable in both arenas because it wasn't like I chose to sit on street corners, but I just wanted to know how the world worked. I wanted to know what people thought, what different aspects of life. Did money make that big a difference? Did the house that we lived in make that big a difference? Did The job that we did make that big a difference? And I have to be honest with you. In some, in some ways that means something to people that did. But in other ways that were really what meant a lot to me. As I saw in both groups of people, that every single one of them wanted the same things. They wanted to be loved and accepted. They wanted to be listened to and heard. They wanted to be acknowledged and validated. And you would think, well, the rich, everybody loves and accepts them. But that's not true. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, they think that the only people, pe- the only reason people like them is for their money. So they never feel loved and accepted. They feel if they would lose their money, they would lose all their friends. And so, when I realized that that it was that simple—that you don't need a college degree, you don't need to be a minister in some church, you don't need to be a, a, a claimed—you uh, know, coach you don't need to have do anything all you really need to do is just love and accept listen to and hear acknowledge and validate people and anybody can do that i realized that's what i could do and that's who i was and so i made my life around the fact of holding this space for people to just be whoever they are with me and it became a beautiful thing i for a lot of years i was alone because the way I saw the world was so different. And then came a time where people said, hold it. We would like you to come into our boardroom because we need to see the world differently than we see mm. the world. And they invited me into these exclusive boardrooms where I would come in in a t-shirt and jeans and they would be wearing three, three-piece 3 suits. And they would, I would walk in and they would say, are, are, are you looking can for I something? Can I help you? <laughs> yeah, are you looking for <laughs> Are you <into> here <laughs> for, to serve us lunch? Hey, right. Did you are bring you, our caviar? <laughs> or, or are you coming here to collect the trash or whatever it is, right. right? And I said, no, I think I'm here in the right place. And they said, well, wh- what can we do for you?
0: Can we help you?
1: <laughs> I said, I think we're doing a workshop together. I think we're having time together here. And they said, no, that can't be. And I said, oh, I see. You want someone who looks just like you, then why do you want, how are you going to innovate with someone who looks just like you? If you can't even get through the fact that I'm wearing a t-shirt and jeans and you can't see past that, I think we might as well. I've already made the money. You might as well send me home now and save yourself the time.
0: So, Was that like the reaction every time?
1: Um, most times yeah. every once in a while people would see through and they would see, Oh, that this guy's not like every. This guy does not seem to be who he's appearing to be. So let's give it a chance.
0: So what was your workshop? Like, how did, what were they hiring you to do? You said that you saw the world differently, but what was your, you know, tagline, see the world differently, eat a baloney sandwich. Like what?
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> it, it it was literally an innovation experience. Okay. Because here's what happens. And I know this all all so well. See, the beauty of my life is that I've gone through so many different things that if I would live four blocks from where my parents lived, I would never have done. I was able to experience different perspectives and see the world through different sets of eyes. And what that allowed me to do is look at the things that people look at and see them differently. Mm -hmm. And so for a business who Here's what happens, though. We all want to have a voice. So in order to get a voice, we all find our like-minded communities, and we feel great in our like-minded communities. As soon as we find our tribe, we feel like we died and went to heaven. I did too. I felt like, wow, here are these crazy people who think like me. I've never seen people like this. I've always been trying to hide myself so that I now I can be myself, and I, I'm with people who are like me. That's fabulous for a certain period of time until that period of time becomes isolated and, and siloed until all of a sudden I'm just thinking like i always thought seeing what I always saw and I don't have anybody pushing me to see the world differently than I did. What I saw in the mosaic was it's the story basically of my life of, of a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day. And when he asks the adults where his parents are, they tell him they're in a place called heaven. So he sets out in search of the people that can tell him what heaven is. But the people he finds are not the the rabbis and the ministers and the priests and the shamans and the swamis and the gurus and the aborigines, origin elders and the medicine men and the healers. They're the homeless man and the street worker, the street artist and the blind woman. They're the waitress and the gardener and the flower girl. And they are people that are common ordinary people and he wonders what am I meeting these people for and when he sits with he gets this inspiration whatever reason you're here why don't you just sit with them and listen to them tell you their story and when he listens to their story in a hundred percent of the cases Meredith what he realizes is the person he's now sitting with is not at all the person he thought they were when he first came up to them And he realizes the world he sees is really just that, the world he sees. It isn't the world that is. Mm. And when it happened over and over and over and over again, he says, God, I wonder what the world would look like if I could see the world that I don't see. Like, what would happen if I slid myself left and got out of the way? What would be there? That's what companies hired me to do, to take the perspective that they see always from and just slide it left and say, now what do you see when you're not in your own way of seeing what's there? And what I realized in my book is that was the moment that I looked to my left and I saw a monk unzipping the sky and inviting me to enter into a parallel reality, which I walked through. And I met the keeper of the mosaic, who was the wise one. That pretty much is where I stopped the trailer for the book. If, <laughs> if it interests people, then I really yeah, would love them to get it.
0: It's fascinating. So how long ago did you write this book?
1: I wrote it two years ago. And yeah. I, be- I believe, God, you know, this is going to be great because it's a f- easy to read book. I have a lot of friends who are interested in what I'm doing I'm going to you just tell them.
0: You worked like, in publishing. Here we go. I publishing. I know. Go.
1: I know how to do this. I'm going to just tell, share it with some friends. They're going to share it with their friends. It's going to take off. Each one's going to tell ten people about it, and we're going to have a bestseller, and it's going to be amazing. And that didn't happen.
0: Right. Welcome to right. my world. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, Welcome to
1: everybody's world. Right. And <sighs> and but over time, what happened is people people were kind enough to compare it to The Alchemist that Mm. i and i had never read that's
0: weird i was just at the bookstore this weekend and i was there with my kids and i wasn't looking for a book because i was like do not look at the books because i have too many and i walked over to a shelf and i picked up the alchemist it was the only book i picked up
1: yeah it's a powerful book you'll love it if you read it and and people told me it reminded them of the alchemist i had never Mm. read it and so I thought, I'm going to get the book and read it. I started reading it and I said, oh my God, this reminds me of the mosaic. (laughs) It's not the story is very different, but the feeling of it's there.
0: Hmm.
1: And so what I realized is, where was I going with that?
0: Everyone was going to love it. People were were sharing it and someone said it was like The
1: Alchemist, and I interrupted you. Oh, and- oh okay. No, that, that's okay. So so I did a little bit of research. The Alchemist is one of the best-selling books. It's been translated in so many different languages, and it's one of the best-selling books of all time. So I did a little bit of research, and I listened to Paulo Coelho, who was the author of it, speak. And I listened to podcasts that he was on and talks that he gave. And, and what I found is, how many books do you think The Alchemist sold in the first year it was out?
0: Mm. 286.
1: Good guess. You're right with the first number, two. It sold two books the first year it was out. Oh, wow. (laughs) And the only reason it sold two books was because the person who bought it lost it and went back to get it again. (laughs) So it really sold to one person. And it took a series of, of time for people to just read it, absorb it. Yeah. Think about it, have an influence them. Then they told friends. Then then Madonna found it. Bill Clinton found it at the same time. And then it suddenly became, you know, yeah. a, a more well-known thing. So I don't fret the possibility that it's taking time for it to happen. Yeah. Because if it's done nothing more than completely change me, it has completely changed me.
0: Yeah. And sometimes, you know, that's why we write books, right? Because we have a story we need to tell ourselves. Maybe we needed to tell ourselves 20 years ago. And, yes. Yeah.
1: When I was at Hay House, I was, a, I was one of the people, most people get enamored by bestselling authors. And, and Hay, they, Hay
0: House, for those listening, is a pub, publisher.
1: Hay House is a publishing. Yep. It's become the premier self-help publishing house in the world. When I came, they were doing about $3 million a year. When I left, they were doing 100 million dollars a year and i was the director of business development me and me and the man who runs it still to this day um, partnered up and he was he was brilliant but he was a little bit timid about going out and i was not that smart but i didn't see any op- i didn't see it. i just went out and did everything and so the combination was a great combination and we had a lot of really good people nobody exceptional but a lot of good people that came together Uh, it's, it's what I say in, and now as a result of the mosaic that when I ask people on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being what they want to be and one being what they don't want to be, where do they place the word ordinary? Let's, let's try it with you. Where would you, if if you had the chance to be ordinary or your kids to be ordinary, where on the scale of one to 10, would you, would you put that one is what you don't want to be? 10 is what you would love to be.
0: Um, I feel like we did this on your podcast and I was as confused then as I am now. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. All right. All right. All right. So, because me. I was like, I don't, I don't know.
0: Like, okay. I don't, I most, could, yeah, I'm a, most, I'm a bad one to ask. Okay.
1: So most people <laughs> do not want to be ordinary. They want to be, right. they're, they we're trained to be extraordinary. Oh,
0: that was right. That was my right? answer. Ooh. I was like, I want them to be happy. <laughs>
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. I want to be happy. So, most people want to be extraordinary and don't want to be ordinary. So, I say to them, but if you don't want to be ordinary, why do you want to be extra of something you don't want to be? So, at Hay House, at Hay House, what we were, where we were a bunch of ordinary people, but we came together and extraordinaries made extraordinary things happen. Sure. And we, and none of us were great in what we did, but all of us together became great in what we did because collectively we're smarter than we are
2: individually yeah
1: and, and so the beauty of that moment was we created something that actually just continued to grow um, and I think we can do that when we come together when we don't try and isolate when we when we realize there's collectively we're smarter, better, think better, or take more risks when yeah. we when we do things t- together as a team,
0: yeah, and also just it takes the pressure off of the individual like expectations when you're, when you think I'm here to contribute, I'm here to work with people. I'm here to love. It takes that pressure off. How do I make this book a bestseller? (laughs) It's like, let me just go about my day because same with my book, my book, it had a great out. Like the first month was great. I was like, it's going to do it. And then it didn't. And then pandemic in the middle of a book tour. But, you know, you have a good point. There are thousands of books that get out there and it's doing fine. It's just chugging along, you know. And you think, okay, well, someone's going to tell someone's going to tell someone and, and it's going to grow. And it was interesting because I had a call with a um, first time client and she said, I was at my church and we were at choir practice and I looked in the audience before practice started and two people were reading your book.
2: Oh my God. <laughs> And I
0: thought, really? Did you give it to him? And she said, I didn't even know them. And I thought that's crazy. Cause you know, on the other side of it, you don't really hear much. You see like, yeah. okay, there's stuff selling. Someone's buying it and there's not a ton of reviews and people aren't hating on it. Um, but you know, it's like, what now? It's quiet. And so, yeah, I get what you're saying. You, you just kind of, do what you know to do, which is contribute and and talk to people and collaborate. And you can't control any of that. Yeah. (laughs) Rule number one of life.
1: I think one of the biggest moments we're in, I was just having this conversation this morning with my wife.
2: um,
1: Is this discussion around trust and control. Mm -hmm. And we are, I don't know about you. I'm going to talk about me. I, I have lived my whole life w- believing that the universe will take care of me. But I certainly don't live my life as if that's what I believe. Because I'm out there doing everything. I'm out there controlling it. I'm out there making things happen. I'm out there believing that it's because of what I do that it's going to happen. When maybe that's true and maybe it's not. Yeah. And so one of the things that Mosaic has taught me and Vistage uses this as their by, as their byline for their coaching company. They say people come to us and hope that we will answer their questions. What we do instead is we question their answers.
2: Mm.
1: I love that. I wish I had come up with it, but because <laughs> I, I, but I quote them as saying it because it, it totally resonates with what I do. Yeah. When 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 we look at some of the answers that we give in our life. And we ask ourselves questions around why do we answer that? What what are those answers? Are they? Do, what would happen if we just put those answers aside for a minute? What would the other? What would an answer be that comes after that? It's so interesting to ask a question, get have yourself give an answer, and then say, okay, what? Like if I move that to the right, what would that look like behind? What would be in the? What would be another answer that I would give if I couldn't answer the answer that I always answer? Mm. What would what would the new answer be? And how would we do that around the way we eat food, the way we interact with people, the way we do our work, the way we to, to live our spiritual life? How would all that change if the answers we always gave were no longer available to us and we had to come up with a new answer? And so what I did in those boardrooms is exactly that. I would allow them to answer questions and then I would say, okay, those are answers are off the table now. Let's ask the question again. What's the answer now?
0: All right, let's try that. Can you try that on me? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let's do it. All right. Oh, and to answer the first question, I'll give you a space to think about it. When you said, I don't know about you, but I feel like I have a belief that the world will take care of me. I have a belief that I have to force the world and that I've been forcing my way through life since I was born. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs)
1: Okay, so it's how about if we look at that belief system? Okay. Whoa, 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 uh oh.
0: (laughs) Hello. Let's ask them what they think. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um. So, uh, let's take a look at that for a minute.
0: And I don't know if I really believe that.
1: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right. All right. Great. So we didn't even have to ask the question. I
0: mean, I really don't. I mean, I was just trying to be sort of funny, but I think I do believe. Yeah, I uh-oh, think I do. Believe, I, <laughs> I don't want to answer this question. I want to answer another question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So, so just so you know,
0: I don't get to pick you, the questions.
1: <laughs> well, No, you get to pick anything you want, but that pro- we're already in process. Yeah. Oh my God. I hold on one minute. I got to send a I can't believe it. Give me one second. Give okay. me one second. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 guys, I got to call you back because I'm on a call. I'm on a call. I will call you back in about in about a, an hour. OK, I love you. I got to call you back. I love you. Bye bye. I'll call <laughs> you back. OK. <laughs> OK, are you still there?
0: Yeah, I'm here. What was that like family FaceTime?
1: I have the gift of having a developmentally delayed daughter, and we, because we can't see each other through COVID now, um, we have a call at ten o'clock every day. Or t- oh, around- no,
0: you forgot your call. And
1: so, uh, and so, I forgot to communicate to them that I needed to do it at eleven. So I'm so sorry.
0: No, no, it's fine.
1: Um, I'll so, edit
0: this out, or I might not if I yeah, just forget. It, so if anyone's way, can, along for the,
1: <laughs> I fine. always
0: say I'll edit it out, and then I just don't. Don't I so, won't? I
1: won't because so it's perfectly go. it's perfectly imperfect because your hesitation to answer that question.
0: But it, it bought me some look, time.
1: Look what it manifested, right? It brought right. us. It, that's what, and that's what happens in the world. That's but funny. That place for you, that where you start saying, "Yeah, let's do this on me right now." And then we start to do it and you go, whoa, whoa, not that question. Let's ask another question <laughs> is, is what happens. So what, yeah. is it, what is it about that question that makes you not want to answer that question?
0: Um, I think it is the fact that I, I don't know. I honestly don't know because I, I think the belief system that I have wanted to control my world <laughs> and the world around me for my whole life is part of what others have said of me. And okay. I don't, I think I'm newly letting go. Like let the letting go easy breezy. Meredith is a new person. <laughs> like right. this is new to me, but I am very much embracing letting go and nothing like letting go. Um, when your book is released and all this in the world is starting to unravel because you realize control was an illusion. We We thought we had control over the stocks. We thought we had control over our health. And then it's just an illusion. We don't have control. So, I hesitate to answer that question because I think my belief system is actually different. Does that make sense?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. And so let's use this as an opportunity to just share with our, ask our audience. Okay. What do they do? How often do we, do we, are we in the midst of a shifting belief system? And yet the story we continue to tell other people is the old belief system, Mm. not the new belief system.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay? totally. So I, I, get
1: it. I, ha- I have a theory that when I work with people on, that our thoughts become our words, our words create our stories, and our stories make up our life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so even when we're in the process of trying to change our stories, our thoughts and our words still are, haven't caught up. But we can't change our stories until our thoughts and our words change, because the words that we say make up our stories. So even though you don't believe this story anymore, you're still like... I didn't ask you what you wanted to say. You came out and said, "This is what I believe,"
0: right? And
1: you wanted to challenge, and you challenged it, right? <laughs> so I said, "Oh, what a great place to talk to," but it turns out that it isn't really what we believe. Yeah. But it mm-hmm. would never be what you would get to see if nobody questioned that and called you on it,
0: right? I get where you're going with this.
1: <laughs> and there's also the possibility that you still really do believe what you believe, or else you wouldn't have said it to me. And so one of the things that we would do if we were working together is we would look at which road you're actually on. The one road is maybe I really do believe it, but I don't really want to get it out there. I don't want to make this public that I actually believe this because what's, that isn't what I want out there. It's a persona right. of who I am. And the other one is, well, I don't really believe it, but for some stupid reason, I just continue to say it. I used to tell a story because people thought I was from New York. I'm from Philadelphia. People thought I was from New York all the time, and I got so tired of telling people I wasn't from New York that I thought, For a short period of time, my mom moved us to Soho before Soho was well known. It was really Soho. There were so many hoes on the street, and there were crack needles and all that stuff there. And we moved there for a short period of time because we wanted to, we wanted to see what New York was like, and we liked the area, and we thought it might be up and coming. I told that story probably for 15 years. So I told it so often that I actually believed that it was what actually happened until in the midst of telling it to somebody, I said, hold it. What in the hell am I talking about? We never did this. This isn't, we never never lived in Soho, not for one minute of one day of one time, but the stories we tell ourselves become the reality that we think is real. Yeah, for sure not maybe unlike the stories that you've been telling yourself so long that you have to control your life, that it's going to take a little while maybe to to break that story or maybe not. You can break it like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Does that make sense?
0: If, yeah. And you have to, you have to want to because that's another high point, right? A lot of the stories we're telling ourselves, <laughs> they are serving us or we yeah. perceive that they are at
1: least. So I want to just, like To me, I live in a world where there are no have-tos mm. because, for instance, right now what's happening in our life is I have a developmentally delayed daughter, and I bought a house for her, and I put I put the house in a trust for her, and we live in that house, and we've always lived in that house, and now the state has taken over control of that house because they're taking care of her financial needs. So they've taken the house away from us and they own it. And now they want to sell the house that we've lived in all this time and move us into a into a way less expensive house because they want to protect the assets of the state. And so we didn't want to leave this house. Like all of a sudden it's being given to us. But sometimes when the belief systems and And we were just like a, the conversation I had with my wife this morning around trust and, and control is we really need to move into a different neighborhood in our own mind, because our my, the neighborhood of my mind has been a neighborhood where I control my reality, but I really need to move into a neighborhood where I trust that what's being given to me is going to be the best thing in the world for me. Yeah. And what better way to do that than to physically make me leave the neighborhood that I'm in? It wouldn't have to if I would have been able to shift that without that. But when I can't shift it without that, then the things that have to be taken from us will be taken from us anyway.
0: Mm, that's We actually had a real occurrence of that because we moved last January. Uh, so a year and a half ago, we moved from Atlanta to Kansas City for my wow. husband's job. Six months later, we moved to Massachusetts and none of this was planned, but we went from a great house in Atlanta, reasonably priced, huge real estate is, you know, amazing in Atlanta to Kansas city where we rented a more amazing house because it was a rental. And then we checked the real estate prices in Massachusetts (laughs) and all of a sudden we are paying triple or double for a home that is 60 years old, it has a brown bathtub and the ceilings are, you can see my ceiling, it's right there. Right,
2: right. (laughs) Um, right.
0: You know, it's this big and it's like, oh my gosh, how are we going to ever survive here? And the funny thing is, my husband and I have said, we will never buy a bigger house. This is all we need. We use every space, (laughs) especially every closet, but we utilize every space of this home. Yeah. Um, and, and it's so different, but to physically we had to move, we had, we had, and we would have just, and I can just see it. we would have just kept getting bigger and more. And, and I don't think we were ever super materialistic, but yeah, we were, you know what I mean? It brought it all down. Like, what did we really value? And yeah. I've learned we really value not what we thought we did, you know? Um, so I get it.
1: So it, it I'm gonna make a great segue, maybe it's not, but I'm gonna make a great segue in, in <laughs> gonna, the, I'm
0: gonna force it. All right. <laughs> force I'm, I'm it, Danny. Force I'm it. I'm gonna see if I can do it.
1: Um, <laughs> when part of the work that I do in general, part of the what the mosaic has brought me to, is this reality of what would happen if I would listen rather than speak.
2: Mm.
1: What gift does listening give me? Just like when I went up to all those people. That were ordinary people and I just listened to them tell their story and I saw something in them that I never saw before because they actually told me who they were rather than me assuming what it is. In the same way, what would happen if I were to listen to the world around me? What if I would listen to the situations that I'm being given, the environment that I have, rather than trying to impose my reality on my environment? What would happen if I listened to the environment? The world is talking to us in so many different ways. And I told you I have the honor of having a developmentally delayed daughter. Well, it wasn't always an honor because she doesn't speak in the same ways that you and I speak. She can't have a conversation like this. People don't understand her when she speaks. But because I've been with her so long and for 30 years, I get her nuances most of the time. So when she speaks, most of the time I have an idea. We're not talking about major philosophical ideologies. We're talking about, are you hungry? Are you cold? Do you need something? Are you need to be changed? Are you happy? But many times I don't. Mm. And when she speaks and I don't understand her, then what will happen is she'll start to yell. But it isn't the volume that made me not understand her. It's the clarity. Right. Okay. And yet sometimes when she screams, I do get a sense. She says it a little differently and I get it. Most times not. So when she screams and I don't understand it, she goes into a tantrum. And w- that could be in the middle of a restaurant. It could be in the middle of a, of a walk along the beach. It could be in the car while I'm driving. It could be when we are at a friend's house. It happens whenever it happens. When she doesn't feel heard, she'll, that's, that's where she'll go to. And when I still don't get it, she'll come and attack me. She'll try and rip my shirt or bite me. This went on wow. for a long time. It happened sometimes three, four, ten times a day over a span of 15 years. And I always thought I was a fairly intelligent person. I tested with a genius IQ in, in school. So I thought I had an idea of how to figure things out. But I, knew that, I, was, I was clueless. Until one day in the midst of her rage, I said to her, Elisa, I love you so much. You know how much I love you. And no matter how much you scream, no matter how much you yell, I love you more. Don't worry. I love you. I just don't understand your words. Can you speak to me in a way that doesn't use words? Hmm. And from the midst of her rage, she had this big smile come upon her face. And in perfect English, unlike any English she had ever spoken before, she said, I am, daddy. I said, what the hell are you talking about? What do you mean I am, daddy? You're talking to me without your words? How are you doing that? And she went like this. She put her finger to her side of her head. And what I understood in that is she was putting thoughts into my head because her ability to speak was delayed. Her ability to, to implant thoughts into my head was, was exaggerated. She could do that more than other people could do it because she had, she, it was the way she communicated And when I said that, we just started laughing, like this freedom had just erupted in her. And that we actually had a way to understand each other and know each other and hear each other and feel it. And she was so happy. We laughed contagiously for about five or 10 minutes. Do you know from that moment forward, Meredith, she's never screamed, she's never tantrumed, and she's never attacked. And that would be a great end of the story. But what I realized is every single person I work with, be it government, be it, be it uh, CEOs of companies and corporations, be it families, be it schools, be it medical, every single one of them does that same progression. When they speak and they don't get heard, they yell. When they yell and they don't get heard, they create a scene. When they create a scene and they don't get heard, they destroy. Look what's happening in our world today. Look what the environment is doing. We spe- it's, trying to, it's been trying to speak to us it's been trying to tell us there's something wrong global warming's coming if it's not global warming coronavirus is coming if it's not coronavirus something else is going to come because it wants us to hear what it wants to say look what's happening in in, in race relationships right now the black and brown people have been trying to say something to us white people for so long they spoke they yelled and now they're creating creating a scene If we create a scene and that doesn't work, it'll it'll have to become violent because that's the way the progression works. But all we can retrofit it back by just taking time to say, hold it, what is it you're trying to say to us? What is our body trying to say to us? My body has pain all throughout it. What is my body trying to say to us? My body is heavy. What is my body trying to say to me? And when we start to ask those questions and we start to listen for the response, what do we hear? I hear things, but then I still don't do it. So then if I still don't do it, it's going to cause more pain. It's going to cause more disease. It's going to cause more suffering. Not because that's the way of the body, just because it wants to be heard. Does that make sense to you?
0: Yeah, it totally makes sense. It totally makes sense.
1: And so it amazes me that the biggest lesson I've ever learned came from a 24-year-old, 25-year-old, developmentally delayed girl who couldn't speak we just need
2: to learn to listen more.
0: Yeah. So how do we learn to listen? I mean, it sounds easy. Shut your mouth and open your ears. But I feel like you might have a little more insight than that.
1: So why do you think people don't listen? Fear. Okay. What do you think they're scared of?
0: Um, I think it depends on the person, but I think people are scared of losing control. Okay. I think people are scared that they won't be heard. Okay. Um, I don't know. That's and, right, yeah. especially in this cult, cult climate. I feel right. like the you know, especially with the white supremacist anti-racism work I'm starting to read and do. That is what the history has showed it's it's fear of losing control and quote i'm i'm doing air quotes for those listening and power um real and you know perceived so my my answer would be fear
1: okay and and i think the fear is a loss of control
0: mm-hmm. a
1: fear a fear of not being able to dominate in situations where we think we can dominate yeah and when i've been having on my podcast a lot of people that have been in abusive relationships and when i hear the pattern of the abusive relationship situation where they'll go to they'll go to their mother and say how could you have done this how could you have put me in that situation where i was being abused by your best friend or by dad or by whatever the common answer that a people that live in abusive situations give is i don't want to talk about it They Mm -hmm. hush it. Yeah. So it was interesting to me to watch the news and to watch Trump had tweeted something, and they the you know the left end news, which is MSNBC and CNN, which I believe almost lives in a different world than the right news, which is Fox. Like when you listen to those two different channels, you don't even know they're talking about the same world. Right. But but so the the liberal more liberal news asked Republican senators as they were coming from a meeting, "What you, can you please comment on what Trump's tweet said? And they said, I don't want to talk about it. 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 And because the podcasts of, of abusive relationships was so current in my mind, I thought, holy Toledo, we live in a world that is abused. We're all mm-hmm. abused. Our, our leaders... It, solving the police problems isn't going to solve it because our government lives in an abusive situation. Um, solve it. And so what we have to realize, in order for us to listen to somebody, we have to get over and really help each other heal the abuses mm. that have been a part of our life that have made us act the way we act. Part of the reason we have a desire to control is because we've lost control by being in some way, either physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually abused. We felt we lost that power. They but say
0: that's such a conundrum, though, because the people that are super in love with their power are never going to admit weakness and never going to admit that they've been, you know what I mean? I mean, maybe they will admit, but don't you see that being like an ego situation to admit, hey, we're all hurting here. They're going to be like, I'm not hurting, I'm fine.
1: Well, never's a long time.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean uh, I uh, use never uh, and always all the time.
1: Uh, okay. <laughs> They're my uh,
0: favorite words. I
1: understand. <laughs> but let's go back to the simple teaching of my 24 year old developmentally delayed daughter. When we don't listen, suddenly things will start to be taken from us mm People will talk to us. We don't listen. They'll yell at us. They won't listen. They'll create havoc. They won't listen. And they'll, they'll overthrow a government. They'll overthrow a business. They'll, they'll house the, a leader. It's, it's what happens. They'll, they'll bomb a building. They'll destroy an initiative. They'll shoot people in the town square. They'll make the they'll make situation so bad until someone says, wow, I lost everything. And you've watched it with people in power that thought nobody could touch them. They lose they lose everything, whether it's a government overthrowing a coup or a business or something like that. People are being, who would have ever thought that the, that the, that the Me Too movement was going to dethrone so many men who have abused women and thought they could get away with it. But over time, left unchecked, if we don't listen, situations will evolve that will take people off of their throne. And so if you believe in a kind and benevolent world rather than in a world where you have to control it and you have to fight it all the time, where you have to control it rather than trust it, you'll continue to come head to head with situations that will challenge your ability to trust.
0: Mm, mm, That makes me go, but Danny, because, right. like, the evidence, like, okay, so you believe in a kind of benevolent world that is going to take care of us. All the evidence points elsewhere. But I mean, it, that, and there's my argument. Is that my belief? I mean, it so feels it. so heavy. Remember, that,
1: remember <laughs> that belief that you didn't think you had I 40, it. <laughs> 40 minutes ago?
0: There it is. I don't believe it. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. You know, I guess I, I want to believe that, and, and I don't know. I don't know what I believe. We'll have to figure that one out another time. I'm going to do some journaling on that and get back to you because I don't know. It's it's but like so. So when
1: we don't know what we when we don't know what we believe, we tend to defend what we think we believe because we're scared of being called on what we believe. Yeah. And so we try and control the situation even more because uh, we're scared that we'll be caught with our pants down as opposed to being to saying look there are so many things that we disagree on in this world that we live in but there are so many things that we feel exactly the same with with
2: mm.
1: when someone hurts us we all feel pain When someone pricks us or or cuts us, we all bleed the same color blood. When someone loves us, we all feel happy. When someone treats us well, we all feel good. There are so many things that we, the benevolence of the world is so omnipresent that we've taken it for granted. Mm. Because what we do is we focus on those places where it doesn't work and it doesn't feel kind. Yeah, I, I had, when I was in seminary, The Rebbe said to me, Danny, the problem with you is you're too honest. And I said, what does that mean? He said, you're honest, but you're not truthful. I said, what does that mean? What are are we just (laughs) doing? Are we we speaking
0: in riddles here? Have we just just entered a Zendo and you're like some
1: Zen master? I mean, what the hell are you talking about? He said, let me give you a good example. I'm going to give you an example of honesty. Honesty is you come home tonight and you see your wife and you say to her, baby, I thought about you every minute of the day, except for 45 seconds when this woman walked by, she was gorgeous. <laughs> I couldn't take my eyes off of her, but then she passed and I went back to thinking about you again. What do you think your wife is going to hear? Will she hear that for 23 hours, 59 minutes and 15 seconds, you thought of her? Or will she say, what the hell were you doing thinking about that woman for 45 seconds? It was 45 seconds. That's that's honesty. Truth is, my love, I thought about you almost every minute of the day, and it makes me so good. It makes me feel so good to feel you and think of you, and I love being with you. Because that's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is, if anybody thinks about somebody twenty-three hours, fifty-nine minutes, and fifteen seconds, they must really love that person. Mm.
2: But the, what about the, seven
0: the, hours? Is that enough? <laughs> seven, <laughs> I
2: thought seven, about <laughs> you
0: for four minutes today, but that's all you're yeah. getting, Buster.
1: So, but what? Yes, whatever that period of time is, it does. It's, yeah. But what happens is our honesty gets in the way of our truth. Mm, yeah, and I so get it's, that. It's honest that we can look at the world and see things in the world, see things in the world that don't seem kind, mm, yeah, but it's truthful when we look at the world that the world most of us, most of us, even those who feel unfortunate, if you talk to them, I remember being in Bali where people were making a dollar a day. They were the happiest people I ever met, maybe they didn't know what they were missing, but they were happy mm. they they The amount of money they made or the pain that they were in or the living situation they had meant nothing to them. They were just happy to be out in the the fields and doing what they did and feeling alive. And you could feel that it was contagious. It wasn't a fake happiness. Yeah. So I would really ask people to, to remember how we started. We don't answer your questions. We question your answers. What would happen if you took the answer that you always said? This whole this whole interview, this whole time that we're together, has been the process of you me giving you exactly what you wanted. <laughs> which was why don't we do that on me? Why I don't we know. slide you why don't we slide me. back? I didn't I didn't do it on purpose. It just
0: happened. You tricked me. No, you're right though. You're right. And yeah. Because when you put it that way, that honesty and truth analogy is very powerful because when i can you know look at it a different way i'm like of course i believe my truth is the world is a loving benevolent charismatic like powerful place and when people join together like great change can happen and love and that's my truth but you're right when i look at the honesty i'm like thinking about the woman who was barking at me on facebook yesterday about Something she asked me a question about, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah. y'all are all a bunch of assholes. And <laughs> yeah, um, and that's my, that's what I was thinking, you know, like, why is everyone like this? Everyone is not like this. I'm such an all or nothing, like exaggerator. Yeah. Well, you're a human, so you're all horrible.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So imagine just what I love about this, this conversation we're having. And I think it's the first time that I actually saw it all integrated for me as well. Hmm. That the story of my daughter, talk, yell, tantrum, attack. Yeah. And the story of seeing the world differently really overlap onto one another. And when you look, when you talk about the honesty of that one woman that barked at you and how and how that felt. Instead of responding with, you son of a gun, why are you doing that? Like, I hate you and you're not nice. What would happen if you said, I wonder what she is really like? If I were to listen, like, forget about my emotional state of mind for one minute. What, what is she really trying to say to me that if I were to listen to it, I would never have that happen again? Maybe it'll be nothing, but maybe something will discover. And I remember when I was in the monastery, we were a group of monks that were very harmonious and a brother entered our group that was just, he raised hell with all of us. We, we, we couldn't stand him. He was just the way, he was arrogant. He was like all the things that we didn't like. And we went to the head of our monastery and we said, is there any way we can have this guy leave? And he looked at us and he said, tell me what's going on. And we said, well, just everything he does bothers us. And the head of the monastery said something I'll never forget. He said, if he wasn't here, it would behoove me to go out and hire somebody to be him. Because he's teaching you more about yourself than I could ever give you.
0: (sighs) It's the worst.
1: It's the worst, right? That's what we said.
0: (laughs) You're all calm over here, Danny. I'm like, these are the worst kind of people. No, I, I totally get what you're saying, though. I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and so I ended the conversation with that woman online. I said, sorry, I must've misunderstood because she just kept, I, I kept coming back and saying, okay, you know, maybe I wasn't like, I'm trying to hear you. I was like, but what are you saying? But what are you saying? And so finally I just said, cause she was basically like, piss off. And I was like, okay, sorry, I misunderstood. Um, yeah. I mean, I could, I could listen. <laughs> I could do a better job at that, but sometimes it's like, I can't listen anymore, but I, I know what you mean.
1: But even if you didn't listen in that moment, now you have an an opportunity to say, hey, what if I could have heard it, would I have heard? Like the whole lot, the whole, like you asked me a question. Nails how do- on a
0: chalkboard, Danny. Think- Nails on a chalkboard is what I heard. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, but I love it. because. But you asked me the question that I took a long time to answer, but I think mm. the answer finally came. Yeah. Is how, how do we actually do this thing that seems so simple, which is called listening, that doesn't seem so simple? We take those moments where we find we are defending, or we're opposing, or we're rationalizing, or we're protecting, and we say, why do we have to do that? Like, if it isn't true, there's nothing to protect. Like, it just rolls mm-hmm. off my skin. It just rolls off me. But if there's something true in it, it sits with us and it irks it. In my book, The Gar- in, in my book, the Mosaic, one of the characters is a gardener. And Mo comes and sees his garden. He says, this is the most beautiful garden I've ever seen. And he says, what's your secret to making a beautiful garden like this? And the gardener says to him, Everybody knows if you put certain colors together, it makes each color beautiful. Mo says, no, that's not it. I get that. I know that that's what you do. He says, okay, maybe it's because you put the small flowers in front of the tall flowers and it gives texture. He says, I get get that. That's not what it is. And the gardener says, Mo, do you have a garden? Do you have ever gardened? He said, I don't have a garden, but I travel and I walk. And sometimes people, I'll, I'll ask if I can help them do something and they'll have me pull weeds from their garden. And the gardener goes, ah, beautiful. When you pull those weeds and you get to that clump of weeds where you pull it and it breaks off and you know you haven't gotten the roots out, but it breaks off and it's level, what do you do? i says, well, I'm just there for a little while. I'm trying to garden. I'm trying to help them do their garden and make it look nice. So I just go on and I pull the rest of the weeds. And the gardener says, okay, maybe that's why you think this is a beautiful garden. Maybe the reason why you think it's beautiful is not because of what you see, but because of what you don't see. Because I'm a gardener, I have nowhere else to go. So when I pull at those weeds and they break, I take out my, my shovel and I dig down until I get to the roots of it. Because until I get that weed out, every time I water my garden, not only do the flowers grow, but the weeds grow. And they grow stronger and the roots of the weeds start to strangle the, weeds, the roots of the flowers. And they'll eventually kill my flowers. When somebody says something to us, that we don't like we should thank them because they've pointed out a place where we have a weed in our garden because if we didn't have that weed in our garden it wouldn't re- it wouldn't res- reside with us it's just a place where we've broken the clump off and we know we should have taken it out mm. use use that as the opportunity to listen rather than to rationalize or fight or defend or make better and just say hey you know what thank you so much. I so appreciate what you told me and listen to what happens to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, fight, and, the fight's over. Yeah. I don't like you, Danny.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not many people do. <laughs> no.
0: And, and like I'm sitting here, I'm nodding with you because you know, there's certain areas in my life where I'm like, yes, absolutely. And then part of it, I'm like, no. And, and I, but I totally feel it. I feel it because what, when I am th- listening to you talk about the encounter online, was about ego it was about Mm -hmm. where i was perceived as done something that i didn't do and and i could argue all day long about this because it's not true and i can't prove it but it's bothering me because i don't want people to think that i did this you know and but it's ego it's ego driven and if i would just like let it go because i know the truth like it's fine it's yeah. totally fine, but it is an area of weeds I need to kind of pull up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the reason people hire me is the people that I work with are the people that normally can manipulate other people with their wisdom yeah, or, or with their spirituality or with their ability to spin the tail
2: mm-hmm. and
1: rationalize. And I'm the person, everybody that hires me gets to the place where they say what you said, I don't like you. because, <laughs> because and, I, right. and, that, and that means I'm doing my job. Sure. Because when you can hold somebody to their own truth and say, hey, you know something? Let's just sit here for a little bit. We don't need to race anywhere. There's nowhere to go. Let's take a look at what would happen if we move those beliefs to the left. What would happen if we really looked at it? What are you really afraid of when you are standing up to defend this ego movement that you can say, I could just let it go? Letting it go won't solve it. Letting it go is pulling the weeds and walking by but mm. but actually sitting in it and taking the spade out and digging it down and taking the weeds out, that's the pain in the ass that we have to what get to. What if you
0: use the shovel and pop the person over the head? <laughs> there.
1: There you go. Solution
0: two. <laughs> it's so, not you, it's so, them.
1: <laughs> so, what will happen is that person, <laughs> the beauty of that is that that person will come back a thousand times until they get through not in that person but you'll find (laughs) I I remember a story of a brother of mine in in the monastery he left because one person really bugged him and he came back many years later and he said you know that one guy that I hated the next place I went to work there were 50 of them just like him
0: every time it's like the people that get divorced because they don't like their spouse and then they go marry someone and you just married a new version of the same problem because you didn't get to the weeds in the first one
1: (laughs) hundred percent. So we can, we can bop them over the head. We can do whatever we want, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but they are not the issue. Right. We are the issue. Right. I hear you.
0: (laughs) I'm doing the work. I hear it. I take it in. (laughs) You don't like me, but you hear me. (laughs) I mean, I do like you. I do like you. It was a joke. (laughs) Well, Danny, um, you are, oh good. You're moving again. So Um, you, you froze up for a second, but this was so great. So your book, the mosaic, where can people find it?
1: It's available on Amazon or they can get it through my website, www.themosaiconline.com. But it's available on Amazon. It's easy to get.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. You certainly gave us a lot to think about. I think my big takeaways are the distinction between honesty and truth. That one's going to stick with me. I could just feel it like peanut Good. butter sticking. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. And everyone check out Danny's podcast, the Mosaic podcast. Um, And he's just, wow, this was fun. So thank you.
1: I love it. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.